Hey guys, Dr. Will Bolsowitz here. I am the author of Fiber Fueled. I am so excited because today I'm with SoFlow Vegans. Welcome back to the SoFlow Vegans podcast. I'm your host and founder of SoFlow Vegans, Sean Russell. Also joining us as co-host on this episode, we have Alba, the veg nurse. This episode, we are interviewing Dr. Will Bolsowitz, who is going to be talking about his plant-based journey, his thoughts on the current pandemic, gut health, and his brand new book, Fiber Fueled, which is now available in stores. So we had a great time speaking with Dr. B and are glad to bring this episode to you so you can enjoy it. So what we're going to ask you to do for us is if you do enjoy the episode, go to soflowvegans.com slash podcast. Look at all the ways that you can subscribe, leave a comment, share, help us get the word out about this podcast. So with that being said, check out our episode with Dr. B on the SoFlow Vegans podcast. You are listening to the SoFlow Vegans podcast. And welcome back to another episode of the SoFlow Vegans podcast. We are excited that you're joining us. And today we have a special guest. But before I introduce him, if you're if you're no stranger to the podcast, you know our routine, our little shtick. I'm going to throw it over to our co-host Alba Mendez. Alba, how have you been? Hey, how are you? Uh, well, a little locked up at home. You got you guys know that I hate staying in, but welcome back to the podcast. So Alba, who do we have joining us today? Well, I'm going to do things a little bit different because, you know, we did live in different times. We're doing things differently, but I'm going to introduce you to another fellow colleague, a good uh, doctor that I've been following here, Dr. William Balsowitz. Please tell me I said that right. You did a great job, Alba. I really was quite impressed by that, actually. You, you know, really what it is, is at the end of the day, it's about confidence, right? So whether you got it right or whether you got it wrong, if you say it with confidence, people are like, dang, dang, <laughs> you know, what's up? So I'm gonna, the reason why I said I'm going to do things a little bit differently, because I usually introduce the guests, I say their credentials, but you know what? Your credentials, your background is fascinating. I want you to say it for our viewers and our listeners. All right. So if we're going to summarize this, I'm a nerd. <laughs> I like, I'm a real nerd. I like science. Uh, I can't help it. I got some parts of me that are kind of fun and cool. I like music. I like sports. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm a science nerd. And so my background is that I am a gastroenterologist. I'm a practicing gastroenterologist in Charleston, South Carolina, board certified in gastroenterology. So I'm a specialist in, in the gut and digestion. And I also am board certified as an internal medicine doctor. And I, um, my educational background is I went to college at Vanderbilt, med school at Georgetown. I was at Northwestern for my residency, did a chief residency, um, and then went to the University of North Carolina. And I did kind of a it's kind of a little bit crazy. I did a combined program where I was trained to be a gastroenterology specialist and at the same time was doing a fellowship in epidemiology. So, and it's very interesting to me because right now we're dealing with this COVID-19 crisis and it allows me to kind of tap back into some of my educational background and talk about the epidemiology of the virus and our understanding that is so rapidly evolving so I kind of like take, sometimes I'm taking off and I'll probably do it during this podcast. I take off my gastroenterology hat and I toss that to the side and then I take my, my epidemiology hat, which is probably even nerdier than my gastroenterology hat and pop that one on and keep the conversation flowing. So that's my background. And, and just really quickly, what can you tell us, what is epidemiology? So epidemiology is the study of human populations. It's the study of human populations. And so you know, when we look at like, um, you know, large studies where they say, hey, like we looked at, you know, all the people in this one country, right? Like many of the Scandinavian countries like Sweden and Norway, because they have their healthcare system all contained by the government, it actually makes for really fascinating research studies because you can look at the entire country and have all the information on all the people all at once and start to study it. And when it comes to this virus, what we're trying to understand is how this virus is affecting mass populations of people. 
and this is where epidemiology comes into play, is like if we didn't have epidemiology, we wouldn't know hardly anything about this virus. And all these things that you guys are hearing right now on the news and the things that we can discuss during this podcast are things that we are distilling through these research techniques that we call epidemiology. That's, In other words, he's a researcher. Well, that's fascinating. I mean, because that's a that's a component that's not often talked about because we're so focused on the health side of it. But we could also look at how how one, one obviously our eating practices play a role in the spread of diseases, but also how uh, how the similarities in populations can determine. I'm making all this up, by the way. Um, how how it can determine the spread of the virus as well? Has there been any correlation in that? I was picking up on that a little bit of what you're saying, but I could be off. In in terms of um, different populations, so you know, it's 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 like this, Sean. The the epidemiology is the tool that provides us with the information, and you know, we're in this position right now where look. I don't like this virus. I hate it. I hate it. It is so disruptive for all of us. It's affecting each one of us in its own negative way, right? But what I do like is this. I like I like being able to understand where the weaknesses of this virus exist. Epidemiology is the tool that gives me the information. So we find where the weaknesses of the virus exist. We figure out what our strengths are as human beings. And then we play to those strengths we take advantage of the weaknesses of the virus, and basically that's going to give us the best chance to protect ourselves. So let me just give you a quick example. The, the virus is spread person to person. That's how it spreads, right? So you're in your, you're in your spot, I'm in my spot with this, with this bookshelf here, and Alba's in her spot with her bookshelf. We gotta get you a bookshelf group, bookshelf friends. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, but the Which point Which reminds being, me, doctor, I need one of your signed books because all of the doctors that we've had here, they have always sent me their books and with a wonderful dictation that says, to the best nurse that I know, Dr. So-and-so. So I need your book to add to my collection. We're gonna have it and it's gonna be glowing on that bookshelf right behind you. Right for here. Your next interview. Yeah. But back to your point, yeah, because I was I really want to hear it. Yeah. So back to the point, the, the issue is that we, we have learned that the virus is spread person to person, right? So what do we see happening across the United States right now? You're being told about this idea of social distancing or physical distancing. And the concept goes like this. Sean, if you never walk into or meet a person who has this virus, what is the ch what are the chances that you get the virus? Zero. Effectively zero. Yeah. Right. And if, if you... If you get the virus, hypothetically, or if I get the virus, if I never come into contact with number, another human being, how many did I spread it to? Yeah. Zero, right? And so this is the information. Like We, we don't have a um, medication that is so infallible that we can lean on our medical system right now to stop the spread of this virus. What we can do to stop the spread of this virus, though, is use this knowledge that we have basically curated using these epidemiology techniques that I'm talking about, we can use this knowledge to basically slow and stop the spread by following these sort of recommendations. Before we get into that, because that is a, such a um, interesting topic that we're discussing, especially with the question that Sean brought up, but let's talk about your vegan origin, because I really want to get into that before we discuss all of this. Yeah. So, we know that you're a doctor, but when did you start becoming the whole plant-based? So it's something that I talk about in my book, Fiber Field. If you go back a couple of years, um, by a couple of years, I mean really kind of eight. I was in my early 30s, working too hard, um, and didn't have time to take care of my diet or exercise or any of those different things. And, I, and my health got away from me. I gained 50 pounds. I had a blood pressure issue and anxiety. Didn't mm -hmm. feel well, constant fatigue. And, you know, I wanted something. I wanted a solution. And, like, I'm a normal guy, but I'm also a medical doctor. And as a doctor, I didn't know what to do. So I ended up meeting the person who is now my wife. And I saw the way that she ate. And she ate plant-based. And it opened my eyes. I'd never been around someone who was vegan or vegetarian at that time, like in my oh. entire life. And it opened my eyes. I'm like, oh my gosh, um, look at the way that she eats and she can eat without restriction and look amazing. 
And it inspired me to give it a try, just starting super small. So instead of like stopping for fast food on the way home, I made a big, big smoothie, you know, greens, berries, banana, and like that would be my dinner. And I started in that small place and instantly I felt better. I didn't have the food hangover after the meal. I noticed my hair was getting thicker. My skin was getting brighter. My nails were growing really well. I mean, my energy levels were much better. I could focus better at work. And so I started doubling down on this and I started applying this to other parts of my life. And it led me on this journey where I was getting my health back and I was losing weight and I started asking questions. And you have to understand, like I said from the beginning, I'm a science guy. So the science has to be there. If there weren't studies to back this up, I can't really fully, I can't really fully buy into it. And, but when I turned to the research, I was shocked because I had completed my medical training at the top institutions in the United States and I had never heard anything about this. And what I found were like not a couple hundred, you know, sort of dingy studies. I found thousands of powerful studies, thousands, like really great studies showing this path, this path to health through the consumption of plants. And so I brought it into my clinic as a GI doctor. I started treating my patients with this. They were having amazing results. So I'm having the results. My patients are having the results. And I get to a certain point where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is insane. I got to get the word out. For me, it was a journey. It was not a cannonball into the pool. It was a process. Um, and I went, you know, I started as a guy whose favorite foods were the least vegan foods on the planet. And I found health through nutrition on a plant-based diet. And one day I was there and I was pescatarian. And this was like, I don't, I honestly don't have like a specific day. I think it was about three years ago and I was pescatarian. So I was eating fish and eggs and still having some dairy. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to see what happens. And, um, I decided to get rid of all those things, go completely 100% whole food plant-based diet. And I lost another 15 pounds. And now I was back to my high school weight. All 50 pounds were gone. Mm. And, um, so for me, my personal journey, like I know that you guys can appreciate this, you know, being that you talk to a lot of different people from different backgrounds, we all have different, a different path to veganism. And sometimes that path is through the ethics. Sometimes that path is through the environmental concerns. And for me, it was always about the science and the nutrition. And, you know, the beautiful thing is that I can promote veganism or promote a plant-based diet. And it is completely 100% in alignment with my scientific values. And so that's, to me, an incredibly powerful and beautiful thing because people heal and they eat plants. So let me ask you a question in that regard. Um, right now, you've gone through a journey where you've been able to connect the science, which is important to you with your current lifestyle. The way that the current medical industry is set up, do you feel that we're moving towards a, con a congruency with the business side of it? Do you feel like there's a pathway where other doctors can do what you're doing and it hit critical mass? It's going to happen, Sean. It's just a question of how much time it's going to take. And we are rapidly building momentum. And I want to tell you something. This COVID-19 crisis is absolutely horrible. I would never wish this for any of us. Okay. But there's going to be good that comes out of this. And actually what you're asking me is one of the things that I anticipate is going to be the good that comes out of this. Mm. People have a heightened awareness of the importance of human health. They have never valued their health as much as they do right now. People are starting to understand the way that we have flogged this planet. We have abused it. We have abused our planet and now it's fighting back against us. Mm -hmm. And I, so I think that the reality is that our traditional healthcare system has not been teaching this, but that doesn't mean that there aren't doctors who are starving for this information. And, you know, frankly, I hope they read my book. It has all 600 references. I wrote it in a way so that the lay person can enjoy it, but I'm providing 100% with transparency, the references so that a doctor can check me. 
you can check out what I'm looking at. And at the end of the day, there is a generation that's up and coming, Sean, and they tend to be younger doctors and they see the way that our healthcare system has been and they're not willing to accept it. And there are a number of different movements underway right now. And some of them I've been on phone calls just literally in the last week. There are movements underway that are going to change the game. And a lot of it is being accelerated by this virus. Now, you you mentioned your book. Tell us a little bit about um, the book that you're referencing. So my book is called Fiber Fueled. And um, it is about gut health. I mean, it's a gut health book, right? And let me tell you. I wrote this book to heal people, whether you are someone with digestive issues or when you realize how central and important the gut is to all of our health. It affects your immune system. It affects your hormones. It affects your mood. It even affects the way that you express your genes. It affects your metabolism. And so when people see the many different connections between their health and their gut, they're going to say, I want to read that book. Now, I'm here talking to you guys, SoFlow Vegans. This is a plant-based book. This is promoting a vegan diet. But at the end of the day, I also want people to understand because I would imagine you guys have some listeners who are not vegan. And I want to invite them into the party. I want to invite them into the party. Why? Because at the end of the day, a plant-based diet is the ultimate path to superior health. And no matter who you are, just understand like, You guys probably already know this. The average American's diet right now is 10% plant-based. It's 60% processed food. It's 30% meat, dairy, and eggs. All right. They're tripling down on their calories from meat, dairy, and eggs compared to the plants. They have six times more processed food than they do plants, right? So I want to reach out to that person. I want I'm gonna reach out to that person. If I can take them from 10% to 50%. I'm sure you guys would be with me in celebrating that progress. But you know what else is going to happen? Because I know you guys can appreciate this. You go from 10% to 50% plant-based, you are going to feel so much better. Mm-hmm. And you are going to see your health transforming. And you're going to say, I want more of that. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I know that's going to happen is because that's exactly what happened to me. With your book, I did um, read a little advanced copy that I got from your publisher, and I've noticed that, yes, we we are aware that the gut is considered the second brain, gut microbe, but fiber. It's something, yeah, everybody's like, oh, yeah, we need fiber, we need fiber. But the thing is that you got very in-depth of what fiber is, and a lot of people don't seem to know what fiber is, exactly what it does in the body, other than just make you poop. Can you go a little bit more in-depth in that? I feel like I'm seeing something different than everyone else. I see something that's so sexy and everyone else is looking at it like it's boring. And I want to get, I want to get your glasses on so you can see what I'm seeing. Okay. Because fiber is a game changer Mm -hmm. and we need to take the memory that you have of your grandma stirring up the orange drink so that she could poop. Please eliminate that from your memory. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let me start over. Okay. Please delete that. And let me start over. And tell you that fiber is fiber is food for your gut. All right. Fiber, if you didn't have gut microbes, would just pass from your mouth to your bottom. But that's actually not the truth. We've been told that, and it's not the truth. Fiber is a part of plants. Mm-hmm. It's in every plant. There are many, 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 many types of fiber. We don't even know how many exist. There's not even an estimate of how many types of fiber exist. I'm guessing at least millions. It could be billions. Okay. Every plant has fiber. It has many different types of fiber. The unique fiber that you find in each plant feeds your microbiome. And here's the beautiful thing. The unique fiber in that plant will feed unique microbes that want to heal you in your gut. So the solution becomes we want all of those healing microbes to be well-fed, well-nourished, so that they can fight on, our, on the behalf of our health. That's our army of trillions inside of us. We want them fighting for us. You got to feed them. You got to energize the army. And so what you eat is you eat a wide variety, a wide diversity of plants, because each plant is going to bring unique health benefits 
working through your gut microbiome. And that's a, a lot of what Fiber Field, my book, is all about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I find that very interesting. I didn't even know that. And again, that's the scientist in you that is, has been researching this. But there is so many different types of fiber. There's so many different things that fiber does other than, like you said, just help you go to the bathroom. But it helps to heal. And something that you mentioned that I want to get into as well, you said your gut microbe. What exactly is that? So what we're talking about, Alba, is the microbiome. Mm -hmm. And the microbiome is its living creatures that we can't see that are a part of us as humans. They've been a part of us since the day you were born. And they're with you right now as I'm talking about them. They're from the top of your head down to the tip of your toes. They cover all external surfaces. And let me tell you something kind of weird. <laughs> your like gut, it. your gut is an external surface. Okay. All right. The deepest part of your body is actually interacting with the outside world. The outside world that you choose to put into your mouth mm. and swallow down. You see what I'm saying, Sean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got you. And because and the issue is it's a tube. It's a tube that connects to the outside world by what you eat. And so every external surface, whether it's your mouth, whether it's your skin, for a woman, it's the vagina, and most concentrated, the number one hot spot by far is your gut and specifically your colon, which is the large intestine, which is the last part of your intestine, okay? That is the most concentrated source. And living in there are these creatures. They're as alive as you and I. They're they are just as alive as you and I, okay? And they are interacting with each other, and they are interacting with our food, and they are changing our food, and they are changing the way that our body accepts our food. They are changing the way that we nourish ourselves. So our microbiome is insanely powerful because it's not just digestion. Let me give you an example. This is going to be kind of, I hope you don't mind me kind of getting sciencey and nerdy, but also kind of weird. <laughs> All right. So let me give you a, a couple of quick studies. If you take a, a human being who is obese and you put their poop into a mouse, and you take a second human being that is skinny and you put their poop into a mouse. Okay. So you got two mice, one with a fat, with an obese person's poop and one with a skinny person's poop. And you feed these mice the exact same thing, the exact same thing. The mouse that got the obese person's poop becomes obese. The mouse that has the skinny person's poop stays skinny. They get the same number of calories. It is not just calories in mm. and calories out. It is the way that we eat and how it interacts with our microbiome. Our microbiome controls our metabolism. Let me give you another example. This is another weird one. Is it this hypothetical animals since we're not experimenting on animals? Hypothetical animals. Okay. Well, then the animals were not harmed in the process, but I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yes. Um, let me give you another example. They did a study where they analyzed a baby's dirty diaper. All right. They took babies that were three months old and they checked their poopy diaper. And using the poop in the diaper of a three month old, they could figure out which, which babies were likely to develop asthma years later, mm. years later, like not like, you know, Right now, literally, like we're predicting who, when they're three, four, five years old, is going to get asthma. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then they took this information, and and again, like I, I'll just just be totally clear. I'm not advocating for animal studies. I'm just telling you what the study said. Right. So I would never animal, advocate for animal studies. But they they took this information, and they transferred some of the poop from the people that they thought would get asthma. Okay. Now, again, these kids don't even have asthma right now, but they took their poop and they put it into mice. And what did the mice do? They got asthma, right? Mm -hmm. It's absolutely fascinating. The gut controls our weight. Wow. 
The gut controls our immune system, which is particularly relevant right now with COVID-19. Definitely. The gut controls our mood. You can improve a person's depression with a probiotic. You can definitely improve a person's depression with food. And the reason why is because 90% of serotonin, which is the happy hormone, is produced in the gut. The happy hormone is not even produced mostly in the brain. The happy hormone is produced in the gut. So, so I'm thinking right now, okay, so like they commonly refer to the gut as the second brain. So yeah. when you have, let's just take behavior, uh, behavior mood. Right. Uh, so what's a, what's a drug they give you? Like Xanax, I think is for like depression or something like that. Or anxiety. Well, you give someone like Zoloft, Zoloft or, yeah. So that's mainly changing the chemistry in the brain. All right, so let's pretend that I have a patient that I want to treat for depression. Mm-hmm. Okay, if I give them Zoloft, which is the um, the commercial name, sertraline is the drug. If I give them Zoloft, ninety percent of the effect, believe it or not, is actually going to be in the gut. Ten percent of the effect is going to be in the brain. Now, there's an issue. You need to still affect the brain which is why you have to use mega high doses of the Zoloft to achieve the effect that you need. Okay. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, I, in my, as a gastroenterologist, like I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not trying to pretend to be one as a GI doctor. I treat digestive issues with Zoloft sometimes. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because the serotonin, the reason why 90% of the serotonin is in your gut is because it affects your motility and it affects your nerves in the gut. Mm-hmm. You have 5 million nerves in the gut, which is five times more than what you have in your spinal cord. Wow. And so when you treat a digestive pr- problem with that medicine at a little baby dose, like I'm talking a pediatric dose, I get the smallest pill and I tell my patient to split it. All right. Mm-hmm. When you treat at that dose, you can improve patients with irritable bowel syndrome. So how, how does someone, like speaking for myself, I've, I've blessed, knock on wood, like I don't suffer from a lot of, of stomach issues, but I know a lot of people do. So, and I know I'm not necessarily eating the cleanest, you know, I probably shouldn't be saying this hosting a, a vegan podcast, but, <laughs> but I, I, don't, I don't eat the cleanest in terms of a vegan diet, but sure. I don't suffer from any like noticeable um, stomach issues. But I know that's not to say that not everything isn't all right in, in, in my stomach. I can't just make that assumption because I'm not having any phys- physical symptoms. Um, so what should a person do in that case? Like, should I still be taking probiotics? Should I still be um, taking certain types of foods, even though I'm not experiencing any issues? Well, before, before you explain that, Dr. B, can you explain what probiotics is? Sure. Probiotics, probiotics are... Um, living bacteria. And when we refer to taking a probiotic, we're talking about a capsule that will contain living bacteria, like, you know, billions, billions of bacteria, all right, inside of a capsule and you swallow it down and you're hoping that, you know, basically these bacteria will enter into your gut and do some good and help you out and make your body work the way that it's supposed to. All right. So now, Sean, you're asking me, you know, Hey, I feel pretty good, man. Should I, like, what should I be doing to take care of my gut? And let me say, I don't care who you are listening at home. It could be you, Sean, who's feeling perfectly well. It could be my patients who suffer from digestive issues like gas, bloating, abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, constipation, irritable bowel syndrome, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis. It could also, by the way, be the person with anxiety, depression, ADD. It could be the person with uh, and a confused immune system. They have asthma or they have an autoimmune disease like rheumatoid arthritis, or it could even be the, the person who has hormonal issues like endometriosis or PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome. All of these people benefit from gut health. And even when you are completely healthy, we should not take your health for, for granted because that could change tomorrow. Mm. And if you wake up and you know, Dr. B diagnoses you with Crohn's disease. Dang, man, we missed our opportunity. We missed our opportunity because you were healthy 
and then something crossed the line and now we're stuck with this condition, right? So the point from my perspective is because the gut is so central to human health, it's not just digestion. It's all these other things, the immune system, your mood, you know, your hormone levels, your metabolism, because it's so central to all those things. Every single one of us should care about trying to optimize it. So how do we do that? My book, Fiber Fueled, is the playbook. It lays it out for you. Not only does it show you the science, not, not only will it teach you exactly everything that you need to know about how to make this happen, it actually gives you the path. Mm-hmm. I have a four-week, completely 100% whole food plant-based diet, a, a, a four-week plan. You got the shopping list, so you can go shopping once a week, all right? You got the recipe lists. There's over 70 recipes and delicious. So the point from my perspective is the book lays it out. To make it simple for you, though, my friend, I don't think that you should be taking a probiotic. If I'm your doctor and I have the freedom to do whatever I want, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to you about cleaning up your diet. Because from my perspective, and this is not, I don't know anything about you. I'm just working off of what, you know, you, you just shared with us. But from my perspective, a vegan diet is a beautiful place, but a vegan diet where there is a large portion of processed food, there's opportunity for improvement. Mm-hmm. And so we can work towards making that a little bit better. And that's going to be even better for your health, for your gut. And then as you age, cause you're a young man like myself, you know, we want you to continue to age 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, and be enjoying all those decades and not be held back by medical issues. Beautiful. No, very true. I totally agree with that, specifically when we're dealing when you get older, which, you know what? I just thought about that. When you said, let's think of fiber not as your grandmother drinking that orange stuff. How did that come about that the older we get, the less we go to the bathroom? That's the part that I don't understand. Oh, my gosh. Alba, you just like threw me an alley-oop. That was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you for doing that. And I will, I will gladly dunk that basketball because our gut microbiome changes as we age. Oh, really? Does it get older or does it get more? So the, the gut, the microbes themselves don't get older, but they change. And so what we see is a measure of health in the gut is diversity. Diversity basically means species. So when I said to you earlier, I like diversity of plants because diversity of plants will give you better diversity of your gut. Just like right? fiber. Just like fiber. And it's these different types of fiber. Remember, we were talking about all the different types. Every plant has its own unique blend of fiber to feed its own unique microbes. What we see is that as people age, they start to lose diversity in their gut microbiome. Now, there are things that can make this happen to younger people, too. Oh. It can happen to younger people, too. Like, for example, taking antibiotics. You know, I'm thinking about the person who was on antibiotics for cystic acne. I'm thinking about the person who's got chronic sinus issues and is mm-hmm. taking antibiotics a couple times a year, right? right? Or eating a lot of junk food. Eating a lot of junk food is bad for the gut. Or, or meat, saturated fat. Like there's this whole debate, is butter back? Is butter back? Time Magazine says butter is back. No, butter is not back. Butter destroys your gut. Let me show you the science. It's in the book, Fiber Fueled. Check it out. All right. So the point from my perspective is that as we age, there are some things that, yes, they do work against us. I wish that we could stay 30 years old or honestly, I would take probably 26 forever. All right. I wish we could stay that age forever. But what you can do is you can make your gut microbiome stay as healthy as a young person. And then your body receives the reward that comes with that. So in, in our bodies, you look know, with a lot of our, uh, on our organs, once they start to go bad, you know, they do have, you can get transplants or whatnot. Is that the case with our, with our gut? Is, is that an option? Oh gosh, man, you just opened up a can of worms, didn't you? <laughs> it's, um, there's this idea that's called a fecal transplant. All right. Okay. <laughs> and yeah, no, I'll bet you're doing, you're, you just cringed and Basically, that's exactly what I was doing when I was a medical student almost 20 years ago, that's where I heard that they were doing this in Iowa. And I was like, oh, classic Iowa, you know, <laughs> <laughs> those Iowa people. So no offense to anyone from Iowa. I'm just teasing you. Um, but um, I heard they were doing this. Now, here's what happens. It actually turned out that we needed this. Mm. All right. Poop turned into medicine. 
poop turned into medicine. And the reason why is because we had this um, epidemic of an infection called Clostridium difficile, C. diff. Yeah. All right. And it causes colitis. And you see it occur in people after they take antibiotics, Sean. Mm-hmm. And it, it'll cause people to have diarrhea, bloody diarrhea, abdominal pain. And it can actually be life-threatening. I've had some patients that have passed away from this. Um, I've had patients that we've had to remove their colon. Mm. And so what's fascinating is you have this bacteria. And classically, we've all been taught, well, if you have a bacteria, why don't you just nuke it with an antibiotic? And the interesting thing is we kept trying that. And it didn't work because the bacteria would just come back. Mm. And we got to a place where we were desperate and we didn't really know what to do. And then along, this was almost 10 years ago or maybe right around 10 years ago, along comes a study in one of the top the top medical journals, the New England Journal of Medicine, that shows us that actually what you do is you treat this person with poop and you do a fecal transplant. And so what you do, and it, by the way, it's not as disgusting as it sounds. Now I understand like, you know, <laughs> being grossed out, but it's actually not hard to do. You just do a colonoscopy and then during the colonoscopy, you basically administer the treatment. So like on the patient side of things, you, you trust me, you're not like smelling anything or there's no, no, because they're sedated. Yeah. So Anyway, and when you do this, you take these sick people, you take these sick people that we don't have a medicine for, the antibiotics are failing. And you do this and it's like two days later, they're back to normal. Mm -hmm. And it's just, and like literally all you're doing from a scientific perspective is by taking someone else's poop and transplanting it into them, you are just restoring a healthy microbiome. And when you restore a healthy microbiome, the C. diff goes away. Mm-hmm. And so um, we are in the process of studying fecal transplant for a number of different conditions. Where we currently stand at the moment is that you only can use it to treat this particular infection. You can't just kind of use it for any disease you want to. But I think that there's going to be a place in the future where we probably will use fecal transplants to restore people's microbiome and fix it. On an average person, how many trillion or gazillion um, little, what, what do you want to call them? The microbes. microbes the, yeah, the microbes. yeah. How many could there be? All right. Our estimate for the whole body, and, and again, like the vast majority, 99% are in your gut. Um, our estimate is 39 trillion. Okay, 39 trillion. Now, this is a hard number to fathom. Um, But let me try to paint a picture for you. If you could see, if you were up like in the northernmost parts of Canada or up in Alaska, and you could see literally every single star that's in our galaxy, the Milky Way, you would need 100 Milky Ways to equal the number of bacteria that are living inside of your gut. That's how many there are. Now, you can't see them. They're invisible to the naked eye, but they're there. They're as alive as you and I are. Mm-hmm. They are living in harmony and balance. We consider the gut to be an ecosystem, an ecosystem in the same way that the Amazon rainforest is an ecosystem. And what's fascinating to me is that the concepts of how you take care of an ecosystem and keep it healthy, the concepts are the same. Mm-hmm. Diversity is the king. Diversity is the king. So when we go to the Amazon rainforest and you start taking away biodiversity, Mm -hmm. what happens to the rainforest? It falls apart. It crumbles. It can't sustain itself. When you take the gut and you start taking away diversity, what happens? It It falls apart. It crumbles. It can't sustain itself. But when you enhance diversity, what if we could bring back animal species that we've lost? Right? Mm -hmm. That's what I'm talking about. And that's what's true with the gut too. When you fuel your gut with fiber, with a wide variety of plants, you are going to be maximizing that biodiversity and giving yourself the healthiest gut you can possibly have. Is there, you know, I've gotten this question before because me personally, I prefer to buy organic fruits and vegetables due to the fact because of my schedule, I don't have time. I Is that something that we should continue because you are not putting in those pesticides, the soil quality is much better. Is that accurate? It totally is. So all the, there's two parts to this story from my perspective and both of them are, are a part of the conversation of my book. One part of it is just frankly nutrition, flat out nutrition. Okay. Mm -hmm. What's better for you and your body? 
And the answer to that question is organic. We have studies that show that people that eat a um, diet that is predominantly organic foods, they have a much lower risk of specific types of cancer. All right. So there is a benefit to eating organic in terms of your health. The other part to the story, though, is our planet. All right. The other part to the story is that people may not think of it this way, but our farming system, our food system is going to adapt to your dollar. All right. So you are you are basically casting a vote when you spend a dollar. And if you spend a dollar, not you personally, Alba, but just people in general, you spend a dollar buying a candy bar, guess what? You're empowering the candy industry to make more candy and to spend more on marketing, right? When you spend a dollar on organic foods, fruits, vegetables, whole grain, seeds, and nuts, when you spend a dollar on that, you are empowering the farmers who are investing into our future. They're trying to protect our land. They're trying mm -hmm. to protect our mm -hmm. soil. Soil health is human health. We are a part of the circle of life. You know, there is this entire like interconnected world that we live in that we're just a piece of the, of the puzzle. We're not driving the whole thing. We need the health of our entire planet. And, you know, you see when COVID-19 occurs, it's like, dang, man, we really took it for granted, didn't we? We really took this planet for granted. And here it is lashing out at us. So, so to answer your question, yes, from a nutrition perspective, organic is better. But the other thing from my perspective is I want to spend my dollar to support those organic farmers. Um, you know, I wanted to ask that question because I get, at least in my in my field, uh, when I'm having lunch or whatever, they see my little package that says organic so-and-so. And, -so. and I, I do want to point this out. I am not eating organic chips. I'm not eating organic candy now because anytime they want to slap organic on people rush. I'm talking about whole food, plant-based fruits and vegetables, seeds, herbs, whatever. They're like, oh, that doesn't really, it's not true. There's no difference in taste. And I'm like, uh, yeah, there is. There's that. And number two, somehow when you're very in tune with your body, you get to feel a difference when you're eating certain foods that have like organic berries, for example. I refuse to buy non-organic because you kind of get this heavy feeling compared to the organic things. Yeah. So what do you say to my colleagues or even other people who think that it doesn't, there's no difference. They're just trying to take money off of you. No, they're not trying to take money off you. There's an, there's emerging evidence that's coming out, some of which is detailed in my book, to show that there are health benefits to eating organic. Mm -hmm. Let me just let, let, let's take one specific example and zoom in for a minute, okay? Yeah. Okay. So as opposed to talking about large groups of people, let me just talk about a piece of fruit. Let's talk about an apple. Like yes. You know, the essence the essence of like you know when we think of well what's one piece of fruit? How about an apple? All right. Now here's what's fascinating. All life on this planet, Alba, all life either has a microbiome or is a part of the microbiome, mm. all right? So what I mean by that is that a plant, like an apple, has a microbiome. The plant is not sterile. The plant has bacteria and other organisms that live on it that are invisible. We can't see them, but it helps the tree to grow from a seed to a tree to flowering to having fruit. And if you look at the apple, there, there are recent studies that have come out that have shown us the apple is more than fiber. It's more than phytochemicals, which are the chemicals in plants that heal us. The apple actually has probiotics. Mm. All right. And an apple has a hundred million living microbes in and on the apple. Fun oh. fact, kind of interesting. You would think most of the microbes are on the skin. Believe it or not, they're not. Isn't fiber more on the skin? So fiber is definitely in the skin, but fiber is throughout the whole apple. And what's interesting okay. is where the microbes live, the probiotics, is they're actually at the core, which is the part that we don't eat. Mm -hmm. But you could. You totally could. All um, right. When you juice it. When you juice it. When you juice Would that be another yeah. option? Okay. Sure. So now the reason why I'm bringing up this apple is to show you, number one, our, our living food has a microbiome that can contribute to our gut, all right? You don't need to take a probiotic pill. You can just eat food. Number two, when they studied the apple, they found that the apple had its own microbiome, 100 million, 100 million microbes, 
and a wide diversity with thousands of species. But number three, here's the key point. Whether or not it was organic made a huge difference. Oh, wow. The, the apple that was organic had more diversity, again, a sign of health, more diversity in terms of the microbes, and also had more microbes that have been clearly shown to be beneficial to humans. All right, so that organic apple that, you know, people are saying, oh, well, it's not worth it. On a microscopic level, these bacteria that we cannot see that are trying to help us, on a microscopic level, that organic apple is clearly healthier. Mm. Mm. You hear that, people? The ones who always criticize me for my co-workers for listening to my podcast? Ha! In your <laughs> well, co-workers, you need to go pick up Fiberfield and check out because check it out because <laughs> this is something that we talk about. So, so along those lines, I've seen different tests that are out there, different um, thought processes where certain foods are good and bad for individual people. And even speaking, I'm not talking about like obviously fast food, but I'm talking about like fruits and vegetables. So what are your thoughts on that, on how those particular produce play a role in our gut? I think that this is one of the most important parts of my entire book, Sean, which is that it's one thing for me to show you the gut. It's another thing for me to say that your gut benefits from fiber and a plant-based diet. But what about the person who's vegan who says, I got gut issues and I'm thinking about quitting veganism because I don't feel like I can tolerate these foods, right? Yeah. And what's going on there? And this is chapter five. This is actually Garth Davis's favorite chapter in my book. When he wrote up my uh, recommendation, he mm -hmm. wrote chapter five of my book to say, the doctor has an entire chapter about how to deal with food sensitivity. People who eat these foods and they get gas, bloating, some abdominal discomfort, maybe diarrhea or constipation, that is not inflammation. You have been taught that it's inflammation. It's not. You know what it is? It's sloppy digestion. Mm. It's sloppy, sloppy digestion. digestion. And it's your body adapting to the food and you're trying to do more than you should probably do in one particular sitting. I want people, and this is something I talk about in the book, I want people to think about their gut like a muscle, right? So when we think about muscle, we think about number one, it can be trained. Mm. Number two, it can get stronger. Number three, if you don't use it, you lose it, right? If you stop training it, it's going to get weaker. And number four, when you're using your gut as a muscle, when you exercise, there is some pain. And it's not saying that you necessarily embrace the pain. What I'm saying is you want to hit the sweet spot. The sweet spot in exercise is when you're doing a workout and it's addictive and you feel fantastic and you're not getting that insane soreness. The sweet spot, when you go past the sweet spot and you go too far, is like me or you going to the gym and grabbing three times the amount of weight that we're capable of lifting and then trying to lift that. Mm. What's going to happen? You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt yourself when you do too much all at once. Exercise is good for us when we're in the sweet spot. Exercise is not good for us when we're doing something that could hurt ourselves. And so when it comes to these foods, whether you're talking about beans or whole grains or gluten, those are some of the heavy hitters in a plant-based diet, right? Mm -hmm. And what I'm telling people is if you get that discomfort, it's not that you should eliminate this from your diet. Your gut gets weaker by eliminating it. Instead, what you should do is understand the approach of how to slowly introduce it over the course of time. Just exercise your gut and make it stronger. So and introduce it a little bit at a time. Is that what you're saying? Like yes. A little bit, okay. That, but the thing is that a lot of people don't want to deal with that because they nobody wants to deal with gas. Nobody wants to deal with bloating. Those are things that are kind of embarrassing. And I, for what I've noticed, a lot of GIs don't say that. Like, you know what? You will have these symptoms. Give it a couple what days, weeks for your stomach to settle. Well, yeah. And so all of these are great points. My book has a four-week plan, mm -hmm. and the reason why I chose four weeks, like it would have been easier for me to do a ten-day plan, honestly. Mm -hmm. The reason why I chose four weeks is because we have all of these different studies that you'll see in the book that basically show us that in four weeks, we can make a radical change to our microbiome. And so from my perspective, what I want people to understand is, no, I don't want you to be in pain. I don't want you to have a ridiculous amount of gas. What we need to do is we need to tweak your diet 
so that you can start to introduce these things and make that better. And over the course of time, that gas will go away. We have studies that prove that. That gas will right. go away. Your right. body will become better at processing and digesting it. Yeah. That sloppy digestion gets replaced by a healthy, strong gut that not only is able to process and digest your food, but it's also able to reward you with all the health benefits throughout your body. With health benefits, now that we can get into that, because thank you for saying that, it, we need to bring it back to the crisis that we're having with COVID-19. Because yeah. you mentioned that your gut and your gut microbe is helping with the immune system. Yeah. But another conversation that we were having off camera is that you've been noticing that a lot of these patients are coming back positive, but they didn't come with respiratory issues. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and I think it's important for people to understand this virus can present in so many different ways. And it, it, it's like, it's almost like it's got a um, mask where it can cover itself up and pretend to be something that it's not. Oh, right. So yeah. And so what I mean by that is this virus, we are told causes fever and a cough, right? But you could have a runny nose and a sore throat and think it's your allergies. And it could be this virus. You could have body aches, all right? You could have body aches and a low-grade fever and think that it's the flu and it's actually the coronavirus. And then from my perspective as a GI doctor, you could have diarrhea, loss of appetite, nausea, abdominal pain. You could think it's a stomach bug. And it turns out that that stomach bug is not just any old bug, it's the coronavirus. And I've seen this in a number of patients that they actually don't get the respiratory symptoms, which is a good thing. I don't want them to because the respiratory symptoms are a sign of greater concern. But understand that if you develop what you think is a stomach bug, you need to keep your distance from other people because you have the potential to infect other people. Interesting. Yeah. And in my practice as a cath lab nurse, because I'm sometimes in the emergency room, most of these patients are already with respiratory issues that are coming up positive. But then sometimes I'm getting called in the middle of the night for a heart attack for code heart and they have tested positive yep. and you see damage to their heart. So yep. it seems like this virus is manifesting itself in many different organ systems. It's manifesting itself in many different organ, organ systems and the three main organ systems that you're going to see are the lungs, uh -huh. the gut, yes. and the heart. And the reason why it has to do with actually some of the science behind the virus. So we were talking about like learning the science behind this virus so that we know how to basically how to adapt ourselves. The virus has this thing on its surface called a spike protein. And the spike protein is designed to attach itself to this specific receptor in the body called ACE2. ACE2 is most highly concentrated in the lungs. Mm -hmm. The second highest concentration is in the gut. You also find ACE2 in the heart. So the bottom line is that this is the port of entry for the virus into the body is through this receptor. And the reason why you see it attacking this or these organs, the lungs, the gut, the heart, is because that's where these ACE2 receptors exist, allowing the virus to affect us. Now, and what a lot of people don't understand, um, the, the virus is not a new virus is actually a strand of a bigger family of the same, which we've seen before in the past in the early 2000s, like SARS. I think in um, the Arab world, it is known something camel. MERS, yep, MERS. So those Middle Eastern uh, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome (MERS). Mm -hmm. So we saw SARS in 2003. Yes. SARS was most similar to this, but there's a couple differences. SARS was nasty. Mm -hmm. nasty. I mean, I'm talking like one in three people who got it died. Okay. But the difference was it was so nasty that if you got it, you knew you had it and you would get out of the way and stop infecting other people. Okay. Mm -hmm. The problem with this one is a lot of people who have it, they don't know that they have it. It's like we said, you could be having gut issues and not even realize that you got this and then you spread it to another person. And some people who get this current coronavirus that we have, which we're calling SARS-2, by the way. Okay. Some people who have this current coronavirus, some of them are going to get really, really, really sick. Most of them are not, but some of them are going to get really, really sick. So that's why we want to shut down the spread of this virus. MERS was a little bit different. MERS was exclusively in the Middle East. 
All right, it did spread a little bit outside, but MERS did not really have human to human transmission. It was transmitted from camel to human. So we talk about physical distancing. So when MERS happened, which was in 2012, mm-hmm. if you could physically distance yourself from your camel, which isn't hard for us to do in the United States, then you could protect yourself from actually getting MERS. So once they realized this, that it was coming from the camel to the human, in the Middle East, they were able to create that separation and start to protect themselves from the virus. What makes SARS number two, this current coronavirus, so nasty is this combination of stealth, of aggressive spread. It's more aggressive than the flu, meaning that you can see how fast it spreads. It went from, you know, January 22nd, we had one person in the United States, and now we have 300 million. I'm sorry, we have 300,000 cases. Oh, wow. <laughs> You know, we have 300,000 cases, you know, that's how quickly it spreads. And then what you have is you have this combination where some people don't know they have it and they're spreading it. And some people don't know that they're spreading it and then they get really, really sick. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes this particularly challenging. And so since we don't know who actually has the virus, the only way for us to protect ourselves is number one, physical distancing. Mm -hmm. Number two, wash your hands like crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. And number three, support your immune system. And to me, the solution to number three is to optimize your gut because you can't separate the gut from your immune system. 70% of your immune system lives in your gut, 70%. And so when you optimize gut health, you are still optimizing immune health. It's literally the same thing. How can you optimize this gut health? Well, the... The book is literally the playbook. The book is the full, you know, sharing it all, including the four-week plan. If you're looking for one simple rule, there's one simple rule above all else for me, which is diversity of plants. And mm-hmm. whether you're vegan, you are not vegan. On your show, I would imagine many, most of your listeners probably are vegan. Mm-hmm. But this is an opportunity for all vegans to optimize and improve their diet. It's not just about eating the foods that you love. It's not just about being vegan. It's not even just about being whole food plant-based. It's about being whole food plant-based and making sure that you get a wide variety of plants. Let me give you an example. Super simple recipe, okay? I mean, in our family, we're not like sitting around spending you know 90 minutes cooking dinner. We're a normal family like everyone else. We'll have pasta, all right? Mm-hmm. And we will do an organic whole wheat penne, like a pasta. Mm-hmm. And you could throw tomato sauce on top, all right? And that's two plants. That's organic wheat, and that's tomato sauce. And here's what we'll do in our family. Add some onions. Add some garlic. Add some mushrooms. Maybe some maybe some squash or zucchini. And then mm-hmm. smash, some, smash some fresh herbs on top. Get the basil going. Get some parsley going or some oregano, right? And you just went from a meal with two plants to a meal that's got like eight mm-hmm. and you're supporting a healthy, gut, a healthy gut microbiome, which means that you're supporting your healthy immune system. I'm so glad you said that because you, you legit legitimately just described the chili that I make where I, like, I put all these fruits and vegetables, but until you said that it didn't dawn on me that I was doing what you're saying to do. Because what I picture in my head uh, when you say have a variety of plant-based foods is I'm, you know, unwrapping, well, taking off the, not taking off the plastic, but I have like celery, all this bowl of vegetables, and I'm sitting there with a fork eating like lettuce and all that stuff. But, you know, you just illustrated that there's other ways of doing it that may not be what you might think it is. No, so it's so simple, Sean, from my perspective, which is this. It's not just about trying foods that you've never tried before. I mean, I think that there's a place for that. But really what this is, is the simple core philosophy. When you go to the supermarket, diversity of plants. Mm-hmm. When, you're sitting down at the, when you're at the salad bar and you're figuring out what's going to go on my salad, diversity of plants. Every single, every single plant that's at the salad bar ends up in my salad. It's just a question of how much for each one. I do want to point out that when people say diversity of plants, it's not just the leaves. We're talking about maybe you might like beets, maybe you might like some apples, maybe some pears. It's pretty much anything that did not have a mom. 
fruits, vegetables, whole grains, seeds, nuts, legumes. Nice. And so like I'm thinking about that chili. Like I want your chili recipe, my friend. And you know, <laughs> like how easy is it to go from a chili with one bean to a chili with three, four, or five different types of beans? And it doesn't it doesn't mean that you need to necessarily overload it with beans. You make it delicious, you make it what you like, you make it palatable, and you make it work with your gut, but you get some variety in there. Right. And then you get that cilantro on top. Boom. <laughs> Let me say this too. One quick thing. I hope you don't mind. If you, if you read this book and you feel connected to it, you know, to me, this book is about empowering people. I really truly believe that it's going to transform people's lives. And so if you read this book and you feel connected to it, tell people, like tell your friends, tell people that listen to this podcast. So flow vegans, Share this podcast on your social media. You share this podcast, I'll share it again, okay? And let's get the word out. Let's get the word about out about this episode. Let's get the word out about the book. Because when we do that, then we are empowering people with information. And if you want people to be vegan, if you want people to be vegan, then we need to show them compelling arguments. And I think this is a compelling argument. I think when we live in the era of COVID-19 and you want to have a good immune system, I'm showing you the path to a good immune system. It's in this book. Anything that you want to share with us that are coming up for Dr. B? Yeah, I, well, so first of all, if, if you come to my website, which is theplantfedgut.com, you can sign up for my email list and you can join my online community, The Plant Fed Posse, and be a part of everything that's going on, okay? Um, but one of the things that I'm really excited about is that I'm going to be launching a course It'll come out shortly after the book. I'm hoping, I'm hoping June it goes live. And the course is basically the deeper dive. So if you read the book and you want to like connect with me on a higher level, this is effectively the course is the conversation that I wish that I could have with every single one of my patients. It would be like us hanging out for a couple of weeks and having ongoing, ongoing chats, like coffee chats about how to optimize gut health. And so that's going to be coming out later this year. And I'm super excited to share that. I'm, I've been beta testing it, like doing live teaching. Um, I've done, I'm on my second group of people and the results that people are getting are like blowing me away. So I'm super excited to share it with everyone else too in the future. Yeah. Interesting. I and, like that. And in closing, is there anything that we that haven't gone over or something that you want to hit on one more time as we close out this podcast. The one thing that I, I just want to share is that there is this molecule that exists called, they're called short chain fatty acids. Okay. This is the nerd in me again. <laughs> and th there's this thing called short chain fatty acids and I am completely obsessed with them. I think that they are the greatest secret in all of nutrition and what's fascinating is that, you know, you talk about benefits of a plant-based diet, the lower your cholesterol, boom, that's due to short chain fatty acids. It'll improve your, 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 um, your blood sugar and regulate your diabetes. Boom. That's due to short chain fatty acids. When you eat fiber, it makes you feel full. So you don't eat too much food and overeat. So it helps you control your weight. Boom. That's due to short chain fatty acids. But when it comes to the immune system, that's where it gets incredibly special. Because the immune system is not about more immune system. It's about precision. It's about targeted. You want the right guys in there fighting the virus. And you don't want the whole immune system to just unmove, you know, like Tony Montana in um, Scarface, like say hello to my little friend. You don't want that because that's how people get actually incredibly sick. I know all but you know what I'm talking about, the cytokine storm. Mm. All right. And so we want targeted and we want precise. And when they've studied, when they've studied diet with flu, what they find is that to get the right targeted immune system approach to fight the virus without going too far and being too much, they, people should eat fiber because the fiber affects the gut and then the gut releases the short chain fatty acids and the short chain fatty acids actually go to the lungs and help in the fight against the virus. And that's the one thing that I wanted to share that we haven't talked about. You know what? I, I know we said it in closing, but that's something that I just thought of. How much fiber should we be getting in an adult? So 97% of us are not even getting the minimal mark. 
Oh wow. The, the yeah, the recommendation is minimum in a woman 25 grams and a man 38 grams. Okay, that's the minimum. But here's the key. If you're eating a whole food plant-based diet, if you're eating a vegan diet, and you're following plant-based diversity, if you're following my rules, you're doing it the same way that I'm doing it. I don't count my grams of fiber. I have no clue how yeah, many. I've never, I, I yeah, I've never, I don't either. I have no clue. But what I do pay attention to is every single meal, like I said, every single meal. If Sean and I were cooking chili together, he and I would be on the same on the same wavelength. They'd be like, okay, what more can we get into this chili to maximize plant-based diversity? Mm, okay, so 24, so at least for me, 25. Yeah, see, I never counted. I don't okay. know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So okay. one last time, tell us, tell everybody, where can we find you? Guys, come hang out with me. Uh, I am on Instagram under the gut health MD. You can come to my website, got my email list, got a COVID-19 guide. And I said before, all of my references are completely transparent and you will find them on my website, theplantbedgut.com. And, like um, and, then, and then buy my book, Fiber Fueled. Um, available through all the major booksellers. And if you love it, I want to hear from you. Tag me, um, share this, share this podcast, share the book, and let's get this message out. All right. And thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. And we really appreciate it. I learned a lot. You've motivated me. I'm going to put out my chili recipe. And then, uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, we look forward to having you all come back and listen to our future podcast. And stay safe, everybody. You are listening to the SoFlow Vegans podcast. Yeah, we want to thank Dr. B for joining us on this episode. And be sure to go to theplantfedgut.com to see everything that Dr. B has going on. We appreciate that. So as far as what SoFlow Vegan has in the works, we have a bunch of great episodes lined up for you for the rest of the season. Now, if you listen to last episode, we said we're going to have Doc, we're going to have um, Philip Mangan, the vegan model on. So we made a little bit of switching based off of um, Dr. B's book coming out. So moving forward i'm not gonna promise exactly what you can hear next but i will say the following individuals will be on this season of the podcast that's peter cervoni from good catch marco antonio rejil damian mander vegan model philip mangan and mike the vegan those are episodes we've already recorded that we're going to be excited to bring to you this season and as far as what else we have in store, we're working on some really big developments on our website. So I don't want to talk too much about it until it's ready. So be on the lookout, soflowvegans.com. Make sure you subscribe to our mailing list. We do weekly videos to kind of let you know what's going on, as well as other special promotions, giveaways, and all that great stuff. So once again, go to soflowvegans.com slash podcast. See how you can support us, help us continue to grow. And we will see you next time. You are listening to the SoFlo Vegans Podcast.